Excellent. Hello. Hey, what's going on, man? Hey. hey there. Hey, wow. You're, you got the jacket on. Is it cold in your place? No, I just got back from the coffee shop. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is the one we visited? One of the ones we visited? or? Uh, yeah, actually. The place where we got the chocolate and the apple, and you were looking at the apple, and you are looking at that sign, and you're like, the <laughs> connection here. Yes, so it was one of the places we went to. Yes. Yeah, so you got that connection again, or? Uh, well, you know, I... I actually, I, I'm so used to that massive sign that I just forget it's there. It's like my consciousness just blocks it out. Um, but there are all types of other connections that I definitely experienced there. Um, they're really great people. You know, they, they just gave me this. I was like, it's like you bring your own mug. It's a dollar drip coffee. Yeah. And sometimes they're just like, here, take it. You know what I mean? Like, don't worry about it. It's really I don't know if the boss would like that. Just give me our free coffee. But, you know. Yeah, yeah it's great. They're like a coffee fairy. Exactly. <laughs> Giving out the drugs. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's, it's one of the most uh, widely socially accepted drugs on the planet. You know, coffee, chocolate, um, sugar, right? These are the most common drugs out there. They're great. They're fun. Um, but they don't come without costs. I mean, this stuff will erode your skeleton, your <laughs> bones, right? Chocolate. I mean, that's not really much of a trade-off with chocolate. It's actually like a health food for sure. Um, but sugar, I mean, that'll kill you early. <laughs> you know, sugar will do you in. If it's, un if it's processed, unnatural sugar, that is. Fruit's fine, as you know. Honey's fine. But all that other stuff, I mean, it's like crazy poison. It's yeah. wild. And it's one of the things that you're really into is the, the I mean, um, diets and stuff like that, right? You like to? Yeah. Yeah, I focus a lot on it because, like, I feel like the diet's the one lifestyle factor you can control. Like sleep, you can control that, but still even that's tough because we have all these lights. If you live in a city, if you have a busy social life, I mean, sleep can be a pain in the butt to get. Exercise you can control too. That's another really good controllable one, movement. Um, but even that for some people is not always easy. If you work like a nine to five and you're in an office, like you theoretically can stand up every 20 minutes and do some jumping jacks or squats, but you have to like put up with like the strange looks you will probably get from people who are like, oh, that person's trying to be fit. What? You know what I mean? So, so that can be a little tough, but food, I feel like food is something you can do every day you have control over. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, I would describe it as the most foundational dimension to health because what you eat is going to become you. It's literally going to become your body. It's going to become your mind. Mm -hmm. It's going to become your emotions because it's used to produce your hormones and neurotransmitters. So food, I, I see is such a foundational building block. So I put a lot of energy into just making sure it's simple, it's easy, and it's like not BS because there's so much BS out there with food. They're like, yeah. you got to live off goji berries. You know what I mean? Goji berries and raw chocolate. There's people out there trying to do that. It's like you can only eat vegetables and there's people out there doing that, you know, with all types of problems. Like it's, there's so much weird BS and dietary dogmas out there. Because people are just so disconnected from like what it is to be human, you know? So people are trying to be like, people are trying to reinvent the wheel when really it's like, look at hunter gatherer societies. What do they eat? Fruit, honey, animal organs, animal meat, and pretty much every part of the animal. That's what people have eaten. Like that's what we've eaten. We didn't start eating vegetables in high amounts until uh, the advent of modern agriculture. And that's right around the time we started dominating the planet and started separating ourselves from each other. So I see vegetables, grains, really not just as unhealthy things, but as things that have a really messed up past. I mean, that's when we separated ourselves from nature as soon as we started farming. You, um, you wrote a book, The Evils <laughs> of Vegetables, or you know, something like that. I mean, it'd be a probably bestseller, I don't know. Yeah, the Illuminati wants you to eat your vegetables. <laughs> like every kid would be like, mom, dad, Tyler says it's bad, you know, and I think it's, uh, I, I, I know where you're going with getting at it. I think that there's, um, there is something to be said about that, especially with the allergies and such. And um, I think that one, one thing is obviously that we don't need as much as we think we need. I think that's perhaps the biggest thing. I think we're trying to fill something up with every substance and everything is like, and that's where it's, gets unhealthy. It doesn't matter if it's sugar or smoking or, alcohol i mean 
it's usually not water. I don't think too many people like fill that void with water. <laughs> or you don't see people in the hospital or an AA being like, yeah, I just got, I just overdid it with water. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> you know? But it should be, it's probably possible. It's just like, uh, you know, but there's something about these other uh, substances. And I think that's what, where it gets a bit, you know, and I think a lot of it is, it, it has that, that counterintuitive uh, aspect too. If like anytime you try to, well, if you try to control something, it kind of bites you again too. Like you're saying, like the more you overanalyze things, you're, you're actually maybe creating a lot of the, the issues that you're, you're having by just your imagination, just going crazy about, you know, pesticides, about this and that, which, you know, some people have big issues with that. Other people have nothing, you know, and there is definitely, uh, it doesn't mean that pesticides are a good thing. It just means um, there's definitely something else going on with your, your beliefs. And I think that's. And, uh, and even with that, you know, people want to glorify like organic food as better. And in many ways, like it's nutritionally superior for the most part. Um, but it's not like it's pesticide or herbicide free. They still spray that stuff a bunch. They just spray it with organic pesticides, organic herbicides. It's still a chemical. It's still a chemical. It's just a chemical that falls under the organic category. That does not mean it's good for you. Like, so when people think of these, these foods being pesticide, herbicide free, it's not true. It's not true at all. Those organic foods, those organic carrots, those organic tomatoes, are, those berries are still sprayed. So, you know, you got to wash them. And some people tell you not to wash it because you're washing away all the the microbial life, if you wash it, then it's in tap water. Like, what do you do? It's just, it's so much. And this is why, you know, I focus mainly on um, detoxification regimens, because I think that's the simplest way. Like you can't avoid all toxins. You can do your best to reduce it, but you're going to come into contact with toxins. So I'm a big fan of simple detoxification protocols that people don't have to break their backs over to do right just stuff you can do three times a week because you don't want to be detoxing all the time you know that can lead to some issues of actual toxin accumulation through too much of the detoxification supplements because too much of them aren't good but also it can rob the body of nutrients right if it's done too much um so the detoxification things i think really important what so you don't have to what is try your, to hit the, like what would your uh, detox routine be and what would you i mean what do you hold back on and I mean, yeah, well, I have a few uh, tricks up my sleeve. Not all of them I talk about because I don't want all the things to get sold out, you know. <laughs> so I reserve some of it for my clients. So if you want to learn more about that, you can get a session with me. But the most basic one that I recommend for people in terms of something you consume, and I say recommend, just disclaimers. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a licensed acupuncturist. So whoever, whoever hears this, you know, run this by your MD. Don't just listen to this and go buy it and, you know, Whatever happens, happens, you know, talk to whoever you got to talk to. I legally have to say that because I'm not a doctor. So now that's out of the way. Um, I use activated charcoal. Um, that's one of my favorite ways. This is something that's good for people who have nausea, who have bloating, who have um, a lot of flatulence. You just have a lot of GI things. And the activated charcoal is really powerful because it's, a, it's sort of a – I use the word binding. A scientist would probably laugh at me. It's, it's detoxing you through what's called adsorption. So it's, how would I describe it? It's not necessarily absorbing things in. It's sort of electrically, through an electrical charge, I believe it's binding things to it, right? So is it's that, adsorbing. Is them. it like a, a, it's like a powder form or what are you talking about? Some of it's in powder. Some of it's in a pill form. I use pills, right? I sell little capsules from um, the company Bulletproof. Not that I'm super into Bulletproof. You know, I feel like if I name things, people are like, oh, he's into that. It's like, no, I just bought it because it's, it's all right, you know, but I use that. Um, and I take that probably about three times a week, you know? So I, I, I'll take it one day, skip a day, take it one day, skip a day. You know, normally I do it at night. It's one of those things, where, like I said, it can deplete you if you do too much. It will detoxify pharmaceutical drugs. Like if you take a drug and then you take this, it's going to absorb your drug. So you have to be really discerning with when you take it. So I normally take it um, either first thing in the morning, if I'm intermittent fasting and not eating for a couple hours, right? I'll do it then. So normally I'll take it and do spiritual practice or some type of exercise and that's good. And then I'll wait two hours, have food, uh, or take other things or whatever I'm doing. And I'll also do it at night before bed. Um, it's cool to do it at night because what's, 
I have noticed, and many people report, is if you take the stuff at night before sleep, um, you end up waking up, generally speaking, with more energy. Because at night, right, your body is detoxifying. It's getting just metabolic garbage, you know, out of you. It's just, it's getting waste out, you know. That's why you wake up in the morning and it's like, okay, I got to use the bathroom. It's like your body's been cleaning all night. Um, and because this helps with the cleaning, your body doesn't have to spend as much energy, right? This supplement has done a bunch. And that's nice because that takes the burden off of your liver and kidneys. Now your liver and kidneys don't have to break all of these things down. Now um, the activated charcoal is just binding it. And I'm not talking about charcoal you get from a grill, right? This is charcoal that is professionally made, um, normally through coconut husks. These are considered to be the superior charcoal supplements. Um, but there's all types out there that you can look into, but that's a big one I use. Um, that combined with something like rebounding, right, which is trampolining, is really good. Rebounding is just you jumping up and down on a trampoline. You know, that's wildly good for you because it's pumping your lymphatic system. Oh, so trampoline? I don't remember seeing a trampoline in your place. I have a little baby trampoline. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little guy. A little guy. Yeah, I have it in my, my living room, aka the, the storage room that used to be a dining room before the landlord, you know, reconstructed this whole place. But yeah, it's a little trampoline. It's called a rebounder. That's a great thing to use. Um, I also do a lot of shaking, right? So this is uh, something that comes from Qigong, uh, but there's many, you know, Osho was into this, not that I recommend Osho, um, although he has cool quotes, clearly a very controversial leader of, you know, what people would consider to be a problematic cult. So Osho, whatever that's worth, also was into full body shaking. Um, so I do a lot of that because that also- The synchronicity there, I was like literally a couple hours ago, the first time, just typing into Osho, for some reason I wanted to see about, you know, heard about that, I mean, the, the documentary on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And what they showed was what you're talking about, but like, oh my God, this is Satanism. These people are just shaking and, and <laughs> yeah. it was like, oh, come on. I mean, they're, they're, they're having, they're, the guy was saying, I was like, oh, these people are bringing up trauma and, you know, they, they won't be, you know, they'll turn into psychotic. Uh, messes of people because of their issues in the past all these mostly people like just like by default all these people are messed up have had horrible childhoods and osho uh, uh, abusing them by telling them to jump up and down <laughs> and I, I was like yeah i mean it was uh but it's funny you just mentioned that like what a you know interesting question something i actually thought about i was like you know instead of just this meditating why not you know pump it up a bit like you're saying you know get uh, i don't know if the screaming what my neighbors would think about that because <laughs> if you do you do it enough you stop caring my neighbors probably think i'm insane they're hearing me at like 3 a.m like chanting like voluminously i have like roommates that like used to be here a lot i haven't seen either of them in about a week and a half and i and i just all i did was ramp up my spiritual practice and it's literally like i don't even think it was disturbing them but like I asked my one room, man, I'm like, am I keeping you up with my chanting? When I say chanting, I'm, I'm pretty much being like, but like, I'm doing that like at like three in the morning. And I'm like, am I bothering you? He's like, no, I can't even hear you. I'm like, oh, okay. But anyway, it like made a force field. I haven't seen these people in like a week. It's, I mean, I love these guys, but it's kind of cool. I'm like, wow, what else am I like keeping away just by chanting? You know, exactly. it creates like a vibrational resonance in the aura which that's how energetically you're creating the outer experience, right? It's through the patterns you're projecting energetically within these different levels of body or what we call um, in general, just the aura, right? But the aura is many levels, right? Many, uh, you could say subtle bodies, but yeah, you do this enough. People will not care what you do. They'll just be like, Oh, that's just Justin therapeutically screaming. They'll think you're possessed for about a week, but then when they see how happy you are, you're going to be like, maybe I should scream too. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, I think there's something to it. And I think that it's, uh, if you look how children don't give a shit, it is loud as hell. And that's actually who we really are deep down. And then we're just like repressing it, you know, just, you know, if you're excited about something, you're supposed to be, whoa, whoa. You know, I think that's like the natural reaction, but now we're so like sedated. Um, and mm -hmm. that's definitely not, healthy which you know it's but it's, it's normal and you know that's that's uh that's what people think are um and i thought that was interesting uh what you said about the, the the mantra and the chanting so the sonic aspect of it the verbal 
um, you're equating that with frequency of, of reality of, of like literally, um, yeah, uh, I think sound has, is a very, how do you say, effective way of changing one's reality. Um, I mean, just like even the soundtrack you're playing in your mind through these mantras. I was actually interested in uh, doing the transcendental meditation, you know, it's uh, another quasi cult that uh, some people think of, but uh, I contacted him just a couple of weeks ago and, and that it, but it seems like it's a very basic thing. Like you just, you have one word and you're just repeating it over for 15, 20 minutes. And, uh, and then you become, you know, Jerry Seinfeld um, or whatever. David Lynch. <laughs> David Lynch and, I, and like yeah. Hugh, Hugh Jack, a lot of uh, big name guys who, if oh, I, you know, they're all like, they credit big time this practice. And um, I think it's probably, it's, they, they say it seemed like the, the most simple, it's even more simple than paying attention to your breath is the, the, the mantra aspect. I don't know what you feel about that. I mean, there's still, um, yeah. They say, they say that, I mean, I don't create true hierarchy with better or worse when it comes to techniques, different things work for different people. But a lot of the teachers I listen to will say the best is just total silence, total silence, total breath. You're just diving into the void, right? That like inner stillness, inner silence. So it's really a void. That's why people are so opposed to it. When you tell someone to meditate, they're like, I'd rather do literally anything else. You're telling someone to jump into a black hole that's going to swallow their ego over time. That's why so many people have an are opposed to meditation because they don't want to have the ego death. Um, but the, they say the best, I don't say this, it's whatever works for you really. Um, but they say that the highest level is just silence, stillness, darkness. Next level, just one word. That's second best. Third level mantra. Have oh, like a, a sentence. Like a, like a, like a whole, like a mantra chain. Right? Okay. just like one mantra, like rom, 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 but I literally like a sense of, uh, uh, yes uh, yes so if you were like you so it would be like okay silence is one level level down would be shiva mm -hmm. level down after that om namah shivaya right so that would it's whatever whatever one you need to balance your mind i think in the west we have such a uh powerful monkey mind because of our academic indoctrination yes. that word meditation can be really useful because I mean, I, I will do my best to have total non-thought. And sometimes I achieve that for a small period of time. But really, I find I can go much deeper with either a one-word mantra or a mantra chain where it's like a, a few words working together. So when you're actually channeling, you don't get to that state necessarily of non-thought. Your thoughts are mm -hmm. kind of replaced by... No, no, never, never. It's... Um, it's so when I'm channeling, there's so much happening. Not all of the thoughts are verbal. Some of the thoughts are um, visual. Um, some of the thoughts are, how would I even put it? They're like telepathic thoughts where like, I'll get like an idea that maybe could be summed up in like a small sentence or in like two words. And then I'll just psychically look at this idea and it's like opening up a folder on your computer, right? All this data is just there. You know, so it's very, um, it's mentally active, but it's not the same mental activity that you have when you're like ruminating on something or when you're distracted. It's like, it's a, one of those moments where the mind is serving you. It's one of those moments where your mind is a tool because that's what it's supposed to be. But for most people, the mind is a slave driver. You know what I mean? It's like their boss and they have to listen to it, right? Which is just this weird you could say inappropriate prioritization of one's consciousness. You know, one sees themselves as below the mind because again, through academic indoctrination, we've been taught to think the mind, right? The intellect is the highest level, right? We glorify scientists. We glorify all these tech people, right? Like they're so smart. They know everything. They'll save us, right? And we, so we, we take that and internalize it. And then we say, oh, my mind will save me. My mind knows the answer. My mind can do it. Mm -hmm. It's this weird kind of, inappropriate hierarchy we create yes. when really it's like you are nothing yes like you're you're nothing you are void void is not even the best thing to say because that's still a thing to talk about you are the absence of everything fundamentally right you are the one which you could say is equivalent to non-existence itself like that's what you are you are technically god and if god is outside of space and time right god's not changing. God's not changing. God has no experience. So you are that. You are absolutely nothing. All phenomenon is superficial. 
And it takes place, if we were to think of the void, right, this nothingness as the foundation, right, all phenomenon, the, the somethings are happening on the other levels. So whenever you glorify a phenomenon, you are uh, creating an uh, artificial hierarchy that is ultimately um, not how reality works, which is why we have such a crazy world, because we have people identified with um, really a mirage. We have people who have identified with the mirage as the nature of reality. And that's where people act in ways that don't represent the divine, right? They, they act in a way that represents rather a projection. And, um, you know, on the human level, we call that ego, right? We call that ego. Someone who um, is wrapped up in an idea as their fundamental self, which is, you know, when the people talk about God playing dress up or God in drag, that's what that is. Right. It's, it's God playing. It's God acting out a character, which is great. I, I don't condemn people who, who live like that, you know, um, but the point's not to stay there. Right. The point is to outgrow that mm. points to evolve past that, you know, um, and that's what the spiritual practice, spiritual awakening is designed to do. Help people let go just completely of the, the delusion they bought into. Um, and yeah, when you let go of all things, you dive into that void. It's like what's left. The only thing that's left is the existence that you are. That's it. That's the thing. If you were to identify with something, it's like, that's the thing to identify with. But the irony is it's not even like you have to mentally identify with that. Where you're like, Oh, I'm that void. Like that's even that's ego. When you say I'm that void and you're identifying with that, you're identifying with a B O I D four letter word. That's what you're identifying with still a projection. So by the time you've merged with that, there's not really even anything to say. Like what's, what's there to say at that point, right? You, you are nothing, but by becoming nothing, you become everything. That's how the merging with the macrocosm happens through paradoxical, uh, you could say activation. So through becoming nothing because all things contain their opposite, right? You become everything at the mm. same time. That's so funny. anyway, I'm, no, I'm sorry, love I love that. I love that sideway there because it's, it's definitely a topic that I've been thinking a lot about. And experiencing too, but at the same time, this idea of experience. So even when we experience is the bliss, that's not even when we say that. Technically, we're not love and bliss. Even, even it's even more basic than that. And this is where the idea of non-thought comes in. Where okay, you know, I mean, are we, you know, exercising thought too much, pursuing things, and and this is what's leading to discontent. And whereas if you look at all the the Indian gurus, I mean, I'm just like. I'm, I'm, I'm like what, listening on their stuff at this time, reading their books, and I'm really into, uh, you know, Sri Ramana, who was not, didn't really write anything, you know, and didn't want to even say anything, you know, literally, because <laughs> any words that he says, he knows that's not, you know, it's not going to be what really it is. And you would, like you're saying about going in the dark room, um, you would even say, so the meditation on something is still an object-based thing. So if, you're, if, it's, if it's your heart center or your breathing or, something that's still not the self-inquiry aspect of the I, the, you know, just like, like you're going back to the I, where's the I come from? Keep doing that. Keep doing that. I don't know how far you, how much you've done that, that practice. Um, there is that aspect of, you know, uh, it, it is a practice that um, I think for us in the West is very difficult to just like stop the, the mind from going off into these different wanting to fill it with a content of some sort. And, giving you know that mm. some sort of prominence i don't i mean it's it's definitely um but not, once you get it i mean like <laughs> supposedly this is what's fascinating to me as well is uh actually um the idea of the guru which is part of it too like the way of transmission of this through devotees um mm -hmm. non-verbally that you're just speaking in the presence of somebody like that you kind of fall into it. I don't know uh, what you think about that. I mean, there's definitely, I mean, that's, I think of a guru as like a lightning bolt, really a good, like a, like a real guru, right? Not like some, you know, wannabe um, abuser, right? Which a lot of, a lot of spiritual teachers end up being, it's, it's pretty horrible. Um, but a real guru, right, is really someone who's going to transmit, just like we were talking about these mantras when they're projected, right, it creates this sort of resonant field. They're projecting that. They're projecting their practice 
they're projecting their level of consciousness as a resonant field. And it tunes the frequency of the devotees. The DV, devotee gets this sort of activation. It's really important. And what I wanted to say too, with, with what we're talking about here, right? The meditational dimensions, like dissolving into the void, that's like the most challenging thing. I mean, we're not talking about something that's necessarily easy. We're talking about something people spend like 40 years doing and they feel like they make zero progress, but that might be because they think they're supposed to be making progress. And that can, that can create sort of this hamster wheel dynamic. But what I found is really important is having a really deep spiritual practice. Um, that's not just meditation. Meditation is one dimension of the spiritual practice. You could say it's the most important part because all meditation really is training for death. Because when you die, it's like, oh, what are you going to have your intellect? No, your intellect's going to die with your ego. You are going to be a, likely a wordless, thoughtless, vibrational uh, awareness. You know, you're going to be a genie out of a bottle. So if you are dependent on your ego intellect, you leave that genie bottle. It's like, good luck trying to navigate without that. You know, so meditation training is learning how to exist without a dependence on thought, how to exist without a dependence on mind, how to exist without a dependence on belief, emotion, story, narrative, because there will come a day where all that goes right out the window. And if that's all you know, it's like, good luck. Good luck. I mean, I, I don't want to be in that situation. I would rather die um, with skill. I would rather die knowing like, okay, like, I know how to exist without thinking. Like, sure, I can do that. 100%. 100%. I do that every day. <laughs> I don't do it like for a long time, but I do that every day. And what we call someone who does something every day consistently to the best of their ability, and they do that their whole life, we call a person a master. Hmm. But someone who's mastered something, I mean, you're doing something most people like never touch. So we are talking about the most challenging part of a spiritual practice. So what I have found personally is, uh, the mind is made up of elements, right? So we have in the West and in the East, right? Five major elements that make up all experience, all phenomena. You're technically none of them, but because you're God playing dress up, you're assuming all of them in different proportions. Some people like myself have a lot of fire, right? Some people have a lot of earth. Some people have a lot of water. Some people have a lot of air. Uh, some people you could say have a lot of spirit or a kosh. And that's just the Western one. In the East, we would say someone has a lot of fire, a lot of earth, a lot of metal, a lot of wood, or uh, a lot of water, right? So it depends on the system. They both work well. They're not completely interchangeable, but I use both because East and Western perspectives, I find really are like a yin-yang perspective. You get both and it's really useful. They're both very wise. Uh, but one of the major practices I have gotten into is... Uh, from the West, we call it uh, high magic. In the East, we talk about it as um, elemental purification, elemental balance, five element balancing, right? So these techniques in the West, we have the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram. And in the East, we have what we call the five organ inner smile, right? So these are two techniques that are designed to balance these elements. So even though you might be born with a particular constitution, you are purifying the constitution and you're taking what is deficient. Like let's say you have too little of an element, you're bringing that up. You're taking whatever's excess, you're bringing that down. So it's very useful. And when you create this sort of balance, this healthy energetic elemental homeostasis, then your mind stops being, it stops being a psycho. It stops being so crazy. It stops being a slave driver uh, because you've balanced it. I mean, think of like if our planet was like too hot all the time, right? Just there's too much fire. People on the planet would be a little crazy, right? There's too much water. People on the planet would reflect that, right? The whole society would be built around this uh, elemental imbalance. Mm -hmm. So our mind's the same way, right? So it's made up of these elements. Um, I know for some people I'm getting a little esoteric. I'm getting to some people what might sound theoretical, um, but I'm just reporting my own experience. I mean, it's not that I believe in the elements and I'm like promoting a dogma. It's like I experience the elements. Wow. Like I directly experience wow. them. I directly work with them. So everything I'm saying, this is coming from felt direct experience. So when you balance these things, uh, your whole system works better. Not only does your, your vitality improve and your wellness, but your mind starts to work for you. And uh, that hierarchy naturally dissolves because when everything's balanced, you can see clearly 
you start to see what you are and you start to see what you are not. And that is what breaks the artificial hierarchy. I, I agree that the, all practices at some point, you know, if you're, if you're in the flow and you're naturally living an instinctual life based upon that, I think you would, you've come to your own balance. Uh, but it's because, you know, I think as you said, our societies have lost in touch with nature and who they are, that these systems do help a lot. And um, I know that for myself, the element, the idea of thought is obviously overextended many times, you know, overthinking. And um, in astrology, my opposite is like the fire sign, obviously. So, you know, I'm naturally drawn to the desire to just to, to have that. And I know that, you know, that's part of my life path is to become more passionate about things and to let go of needing to understand because you're not going to understand really anything completely anyways, if it's, it's all based on nothingness anyways, you know, this non-conceptual groundwork, you know, and it's like, uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, it does, it does kind of, in some ways it, it hurts the ego because the ego thinks that's, you know, that was your way into your way into, you know, who you are is based upon your, your ability to think and um, that that's letting go of that is definitely because it, it literally seems to me that the best way to live is what is in front of you i mean you need some intelligence to kind of look at it but you don't want to base anything on the past anyways you don't want to be like scientific about things you want to be intelligent but there's a natural bit born intelligence in the moment that's always there it's like it becomes obvious and i think have that you know understanding which the like going back to the gurus it seems like they have that a lot of them do um seems that um also uh another interesting about sri ramana I, I just was listening to him he or listen to somebody talk about him said he supposedly said that uh, he could um control the power he sent out to people like you're saying to his devotees so he'd only given in certain amounts and when it's necessary you know but if he if he just opened up the floodgates, I know that Bashar talked about this too. If he if people had their his full energy, they would go insane. And Ramana said that the body would die. He literally said that the devotees, um, if you let the full energy go out, uh, the the mind would just go somewhere in the body. Because you're because at that I mean at that point you at that point your consciousness totally resonates with the absolute, you know, and you've sort of accomplished the point of of life right, to wake up. So it's like, why stay? You know, that's, there's a, there's, that's a big thing in India. I've heard a lot of gurus talk about this where it's like some people, they get enlightened, they just die. They die shortly after because it's like, they got it, yeah. got the point. So it's like, why stay here? So one of the reasons we focus so much on all of these practices, right? The pentagram rituals and beyond in the West. And then these, these body centric elemental organ practices in the East is because this is strengthening the aura, strengthening the meridian system, strengthening even the physical system. Physical system changes from this. It makes you strong, makes you powerful, makes you physically powerful, and it roots you into the earth realm big time. And that's needed because I don't know if you've ever met a person who just does a lot of seated meditation. That's like all they do. Um, they can get very, not to, I'm not condemning that. I mean, that's an awesome thing, but it can become a thing where they, they lose the ability to relate to people. They're sort of always like in that space. And it's because they have developed such a powerful relationship with what you would call the Akash, as well as the void, right? Which is none of it. And these other levels aren't getting nourished. So they're becoming less and less and less like this place. Mm -hmm. They're becoming more and more and more like the spirit realm and the abyss, right? So it's like they, some people lose the ability to even function. There's some people that become like children again. They have to be cared for. Um, some people, they just abandon everyone, abandon everything, leave everything. They go out into the woods, go out into a cave. I mean, that's, I don't want to say it's not ideal. I mean, that's someone's path for sure, if that's what they create. But I know for me, like, I would not feel satisfied doing that. Like, that would not feel to me to be my way. My way is total immersion into the world um, without becoming like the world without becoming like the system i want to immerse myself into the system so i can change it right so i can create a better earth so i can create more happiness so i can create more health and abundance for myself and everyone that i come into contact with right and the goal ultimately for all of that 
is to create the conditions for people to wake up in an easier way. Because if people are in poverty, if people are living in a dangerous environment, if people are living in a really negative state of mind, it's like good luck trying to wake up. You know, I mean, that's, it's not easy to have a spiritual practice when that kind of suffering is there. So for me, my whole thing is how do I strengthen my body, my consciousness, so I can stay on earth for as long as possible so I can make as much change on this planet as possible. Um, and that's, that for me feels like my way. It might have to do just with my love of superhero movies that I had as a child, right? Just wanting to be like, oh, I can like help. I can help this place. Who's your favorite superhero? Spider-Man. Interesting. Spider-Man. Interesting. Flexibility yeah. and uh, uh, webbing the weave, the multi-dimensional. It, that's, you know, I, I, the thing about going back to comic books, like in, as a kid when I read them, and now looking at the movies and the, the mythology that built up, I'm like, that's not the same stuff I was reading about. Spider-Man was, you know, uh, this idea of a multi-dimensional web, which works perfectly with them and many different Peter Parkers or whatever they're playing with at the moment. Yeah. Oh, Dr. Strange, another, you know, trying to, it, it, you know, going back in time. I think that's, uh, I can definitely see that choice. Um, I was always, I was, I, I was, in, I became more because of my kids uh, interest also in the, the DC universe uh, cartoons and uh, the Superman aspect and just like the, the understanding of, you know, that 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 dynamic the the Batman versus Spider uh, Superman dichotomy is very interesting. You know, I think uh, if you you know the I like the idea of the the heart based versus maybe even consider the the liver based. You know, where you know mm-hmm. the control aspect, um, understanding of reality and where that leads to. Just like uh, it's like all there. Um, and I know that you, your challenge of, um, you mentioned that, uh, I think, uh, one of the latest challenges somebody posted was on the archetypes of mm. asking, uh, Ryok, um, I don't know if you actually, Oh, the super, that. yeah, I remember this one. Yeah. You, you watched it after you were, you were doing it obviously and you remember that, but, uh, it was, you know, a, a, it, the guy was just like listing superheroes and Ryok was right at the moment say exactly what that superhero, uh, what, what kind of archetype that is. It's like, yeah, Iron Man, that, Thor, that. I was like, wow, that does explain so much. Yeah, it also explains why people gravitate to certain superheroes because they're desiring to cultivate that archetype within themselves in some way, you know, Mm -hmm. or they're working to perhaps balance that archetype within themselves. Like I, you know, for a little bit was attracted to the Hulk, like when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've never really... um, dove deep into that wild man archetype um but i see why though i got into the hulk though because i mean just in my own family right that wild man archetype right on the more masculine side of the family like has played out a whole bunch so through me getting into the hulk i was trying to understand that i was also trying to understand how to relate to those sort of wild man energies i had inherited just through being a part of that lineage right because as you know right so much has passed on to uh, the children you know, from the parents and, and the ancestors. So I was like, how do I understand my relationship you know, with this? But fortunately, it's, it's not a super major theme for me, but just being a part of that lineage, it has popped up. So when I was young, I, I had sensed that. And I started getting into the Hulk, but just you know, peripherally. Really, the, the biggest ones I would say I've gotten into, three are Doctor Strange, Spider-Man and Iron Man. More into the Marvel universe, you know, clearly. Uh, and Batman. Well, obviously, mine was X-Men and Wolverine. I mean, Wolverine was the man. But the, yeah. You know, call it, but it was like, uh, I now am not so attracted to the Wolverine. Like, I was this kid. Like, he was just, like, the baddest number one mm. comic hero. It's like, and now it's like, well, that's just a bit overkill with literally, like, blood all over the place ripping people apart. And it's like, the guy is very bitter, very Batman. I'm not attracted to Batman either. It's like that was as a kid. All the big movies were Wolverine and Batman. Now it, it's not so entertaining. I do like the fun of the Thor or uh, even talk about the Hulk. Like what a wonderful movie, how he literally integrated the two together in the last uh, Infinity War where he becomes the Hulk all the time. Remember that? Oh, you know, I've seen that. For some reason, I don't remember that part. But I'm glad you reminded me because yes. I'll... Yeah, probably it's, it's like perfect, uh, you know, I was like, oh man, and he becomes like the coolest character by that. He's just like, accept, mm, accepts you. You're right, guys. yeah. You know, I was yeah. like, you know, okay, he's green and big, you know, and then he gets all the chicks. 
Yeah, who doesn't want a big green hunk who's like a scientist and a badass? I mean, he was like his strengths. His he was he was literally saying that his you know his strength is well. His, he thought there were weaknesses, you know, the instability. But if he embraced the darkness. And then he comes complete. And I was like, that's a perfect hero arch for the Hulk. That's where it naturally leads to is bringing the two together. Right. And um, I don't know where Batman leads to. I think he just has to forgive everybody. Yeah, he's <laughs> got, yeah, he, yeah Batman's just got to do like probably some type of like uh, dance-based therapy um, and like cuddle <laughs> therapy. He becomes gay. No, he becomes gay. That's it. He falls in love with Robin. I don't know, but there has to be some sort of... That's always been the joke, right? That's always been the joke. He probably just feels so closeted. He's like, God, I work with this guy. I'm, I was written in an era where homosexuality was not okay in Western culture. Like, and I'm pissed because my dead parents. Oh, God. And then, you know, then he just sees the Joker and he's like, Joker jokes on you, and <laughs> turns into a wonderful like uh, episode. Yeah, I don't know who the new, the, the latest Batman was with uh, Robert Patterson. I think he could pull off the, the gay Batman, maybe. Oh, he's the Twilight guy, right? Is that yes. the same dude? Yeah, I gotta see that. I got I used to, I used to like Twilight when I was in high school. I uh, just most man, guys I can't mean, say that. Most guys. I, mean, I did read the books. I for some reason I did. Uh, I remember reading it. I I, uh, I didn't watch the movies. But I did, there's something in there for guys too. There's something about, uh, but I would skip to the fight scenes. I'd be like, I didn't care about the, you know, the romantic. And I was, I was like, oh, God, give me a break. Just like jump over to, and then the big fight scene, uh, spoiler alert, you know, it's like, it's really <laughs> like 10 years, but sure. It's like they, they, they just like, at the end, there's nothing, you know, the big war that happened, they just like, there's like no, no destruction. It seems like, uh, yeah, I don't know if I, I didn't make it all the way through. I saw a couple, but but Twilight appealed to me because um, number one, the soundtracks were really good. A lot of my favorite indie artists uh, did the music for that movie. So just off the bat, I had a, a really powerful musical connection to that. Um, but also I felt like I was at a time in my life where the more emotional something was, the more alive it felt to me. Like I feel like at that time in my life, for whatever reason, my like emotional... Uh, my emotional intelligence was really coming online, you know. Um, and I just started, you know, the, the ability to be empathic with, for people started turning on at that time. Um, because I, like, definitely was not brought up in a way that was empathy-based, you know. And I, I don't think, you know, a lot of the kids around me had really cultivated that, you know, that um, emotional intelligence. So I remember being drawn to that because Twilight... I felt the characters went through so much emotionally and a lot of the story development was based off of their emotional processes, how they reacted and responded to that. Plus there was also this idea of like secrecy and stealth and like immortal beings that are misunderstood, uh, who have great power, who have to hide. There were so many uh, things in there that I think just archetypally resonated with many things that I've, uh, entertained or have explored, you know, in my adult life, which I th and think of a lot of these practices, a lot of these techniques, I mean, a lot of these things had to be kept secret, you know, for so long as the practitioners would get killed, you know, the, the establishment at the time, the government at the time would see it as a threat, you know, wipe it out. Um, these people were also highly sought after by royalty um, because, for example, we're talking about alchemists here, right? Alchemists, these people with these really deep magical techniques who understood health, who understood immortality, which is not what most people think it is, were sought out by rulers. And sometimes they'd be imprisoned. They'd be like captured by the ruler. We'll be like, hey, buddy, you're gonna make me the elixir of immortality. And if you don't, I'm gonna kill you. And if you do, and for some reason I don't like you, I'm gonna kill you and now I own you. This was a thing that would happen. So this happened more in the West um, where, yeah, like, like ruling people would try to like, you know, kidnap these, these practitioners. Um, and there's all types of things, you know, that go on there. But luckily the more skillful one becomes with their magical technique and practice, um, the less one entangles with those types of situations I have found. Um, and, you know, nowadays, danger manifests in different ways. But still, even with these practices, there are 
all types of ways to create camouflage. There are all types of ways to create energetic distractions. There are all types of ways to make yourself seem boring. Yes. So you know what I mean? So people just don't even care about you, you know? So that secrecy can still exist if somebody needs that. Some people do. Um, but the reason I'm bringing all this up is there's so much that we can observe in movies that we were drawn to when we were young mm -hmm. that can tell us about our life theme, that can tell us about our archetypal makeup, and can also tell us about you know, our shadow, where we need to integrate. Because everything we're attracted to, we are trying to merge with. Mm -hmm. We're trying to merge with because we feel on some level that thing will complete us, that thing will give us something we don't have. Uh, that's why you know, it, in yoga, it's like abandon merging with everything other than like the divine and the nothingness, then you merge with any, everything anyway. Yeah. But, uh, but if you pay attention to these things, you'll understand your story more. You, we understand our stories through understanding stories. Mm -hmm. So whatever your story is, just pay attention to the stories you're drawn to, the characters you're drawn to, you will understand more about yourself because that attraction is not random. No. You know, that, that is your inner self communicating to you through your attraction to the character, mm -hmm. your attraction to the story, or whatever it might be, you know, you can just pay attention to the people you're attracted to in your life. Pay attention to uh, the types of clothing you're attracted to. Pay attention to the type of music you're attracted to. Because everything you're attracted to, right, you are merging with. So that will tell you about where you're at. And it'll tell you about, you know, maybe where you desire to go. That's a very interesting, I mean, the big superhero that I'm attracted to is Jesus. Uh, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> That's a funnier thing to say hell yeah to that. But hell yeah. <laughs> it's a... Uh, you know, uh, actually, yesterday I saw a channeling, uh, definitely, I'll send it to you later from uh, Lincoln uh, Kagar, who uh, he channels the higher self, and it was a story of Jesus. Somebody asked you about Jesus' internal processes, and the channel, it's like stuff I, I kind of heard on the side of it, was like, it was like the, the channel's presenting it like 100% truth, and I was, and it, felt, it resonated with me, but basically, uh, a, a boy, you know, grows up with unconditionally loving parents. And by the age, you know, nine, 10, he starts healing, you know, plants, animals and stuff like that, understands how to use his hands for the healing and begins to see the eye and understand. Uh, I'm just, I'm trying to condense what was in the channel, which I go an hour, but, um, and then he, uh, he has contact with the, the masters in his area, you know, in this, the Galilean area or wherever he's at. And, and at some point, like when he's 11 or 12, the masters get together and say, we're going to take him to the East. So this is the story of Jesus as the, the forgotten years where he, he, he takes, he goes on the trip through uh, the Middle East and then ends, he goes to the, the ashrams, the monasteries, and then he ends up at the feet of a guru in India, spends two years at the feet of the guru, and right before he leaves, his heart is completely opened. He was already obviously on another level, but like at age 13, 14. And then when he knows he has to go back, he returns and uh, makes a byway through Greece. And then, but he comes back already, you know, very much a realized being. He had to, he had to meet another realized being first. So that's why the guru idea came up for me as well. It's like, okay, this, is, this seems like a part of the path that people don't even talk about with, the, the Jesus that we know in the Bible is very, very different than, than what we, we've all been kind of like hearing about these stories about him learning from the masters in the East. And this, this channel actually kind of confirmed that uh, you probably heard of that, that I did too. But it's like, he, but what he, what he saw in the East as well was, like you were saying, <clears throat> they could see his aura, but they still wanted to, you know, do you, do you know who you really are? You know, is, does he have that awareness as a boy? And they, they would question him and, and he would, uh, he would also see the, the skills of, you know, um, I don't know, teleportation. In India, this was like normal stuff too. At that age, you know, walking on water is no big deal. These guys were like, you know, doing some amazing stuff. Uh, and he, but he knew that wasn't it. You know, he still, like, that's part of the experience in the show. But he, he wanted that. Only when he got to the feet of the gurus, like that, that experience or that, that, the seeing the self completely. I definitely recommend that. I was like, uh, yeah, it was, it's, it's the movie I want to see. I'm wondering if I, I'm the one who has to write this. Oh, God, that'd be a fantastic movie. That'd be so good. be so controversial. Uh, but that's like all, all great things when they're unveiled to 
you know, modern society are additionally controversial until people like evolve and catch up with it, you know, way with great music, way with great art. Imagine it would probably be that with this movie, but that's a fantastic movie. It's not the Mel Gibson, whatever movie he did, The Passion of Christ. You know, it, 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 you know just that's like, it doesn't know justice to like, you know. It's, it's emphasizing really what, how would I put it? What my teacher said to me was this. He said, the reason the crucifixion is the highlight of the Jesus story is strategic. That's a strategic emphasis that essentially um, governments at the time the Bible was written wanted the Bible to focus on. Um, number one, it shows people what happens if you challenge the authority. You get killed. That's one reason for that. But the other reason is it creates a division between Christians and Jews, mm. right? It's like, oh, look, Christians, look who killed your savior, right? It creates this division um, because at the time, right, the governments were terrified of the Christians and the Jews coming together because them coming together would be able to for sure challenge the governmental authority of those times. So the reason that's what's emphasized is strategic. Really what should have been emphasized is exactly what you're talking about, right? How Jesus Christ managed to build the body of light, how he survived death, how he managed as a light being to visit everybody and still give teachings. Like that's the part that's supposed to be emphasized as well as the methods used to create that because that's the point of all of the Eastern practices, be it, um, be it Taoist, be it um, yogic. This is the point of the Western practices, right? To cultivate enough energy and to merge with primordial masculine and feminine energies to such a degree, you can give birth to yourself. You can give birth to a light body. Like a lot of people think like, oh, I'm born with this like light body. That's not how ancient people thought of this. That's a new idea. That's a very new idea. This is why some people are very off the bat spiritually evolved. They can astral project. They can channel. They have all these natural cities that are there that we just think are like lucky. We're like, oh, they just have, they must have, God just loves them more, right? God just loves this person more. They have all these gifts. It's like, no, when we incarnate, it's not like this spiritual evolution from other lifetimes goes away. That's a momentum. So you're born with all the same abilities you've had in the past lives. That's why some people are geniuses. Um, but the idea is different triggers need to be presented to awaken those things, right? So it sounds like Christ had a lot of that momentum already and then met masters that helped him refine it. Um, and some people, right? It's like you tell the, some people, they can't feel chi. There, there are certain people, there's even a medical word for it. Um, they can't feel this type of subtle energy. Mm. They just can't feel it. It's because they have not developed the energy body sufficiently. It's still like a little baby, right? And their culture, Western culture for the most part, has not taught people how to cultivate that. So they're ignorant of it. So these bodies are something you build, you construct them. They're not just like there. Yeah. They're not just there. We all have what we would call an etheric body, right? An etheric body is more of what you describe as an electromagnetic body. It's a body that's made of chi, right? Subtle energy, prana. And this body we have sort of by default, because if you didn't have a chi body, you wouldn't live, right? It's like you need that level just to flow life force through, you know, life force, no life. So we all have that. Some people have a very developed one, right? These are people that can channel a lot of chi, but that's just the second level, right? So we have physical, etheric. Above that, we have the astral, and there's a body for that. Above that, we have the mental. There's another body for that. Above that, there's the spirit. And there's a body for that. So we have, like I was saying in the beginning, right, our aura has these different layers. So these layers have to be grown. They have to be constructed. And that's what a spiritual practice does. You know, not all, not all teachers explain it in this way. They just give you the practices. And, you know, it just, these things happen sort of unconsciously. But when you know what you're doing, when you know where this path leads you, it becomes much more, for me, enticing. I'm like, oh, damn, I'm building a spaceship. I'm literally building a spaceship that will carry my consciousness, you know, after I don't need my physical spaceship anymore. That's badass. That's great. And each body has its own cities. It's like, oh, so this is how you build it. This is how you awaken it. Oh, all of a sudden, this whole thing makes so much more sense. There's a method now that can be done. It's not just random. It is strategic. Um, and, and all spiritual masters have become masters 
through practice, right? Mm -hmm. There are some that are born here where like, they're just so powerful, like on the spirit plane, they just come here and it's like a complete copy of their power in the spirit world here. And there are wonderful people that are that they're just born here and they are like immediately a bodhisattva just totally realized most of us are not that that is not 90 percent of people if it were earth would have been very different a long time ago right most people are completely ignorant of these things so we look up to these people who come in and just know but for the rest of us i include myself in this right it's like a methods needed otherwise all these things just sound like cool ideas and they just become interesting fantasies, you know, but when you have a method, it's not an idea anymore. It's not a belief system. It becomes your life. It becomes your direct experience. And that's what I offer to people. That's what I teach. I give methods, all methods that I give. I do myself daily. I spend probably about four hours a day training, you know, just doing these things. And I do that because why not? What else am I going to do? Watch TV? Like, what else am I going to do? Get on Facebook? Like, no, I, my life is more important than, uh, than just letting these techno industries vamp my time away, you know, not cool, right? I'm going to do as much spiritual training as I can. And I'm going to be there for my friends. I'm going to be there for my family, be there for my partners. I'm going to be there for my clients. I'm going to be there for my business. I'm going to be there for my world. And these practices I find just help me to do all those things in a much easier way. And it also, right, it's, it's helping me achieve what I consider to be the primary point of the earth experience, which is to blast off, right? Blast off as a, you know, as an evolved being, really. Because we all, we're all guaranteed to leave this place. But how you leave, for the most part, is really up to you, you know? So my, my goal is to leave skillfully so I can taste realms that I can't even perceive right now or can't even imagine or conceptualize because you have to be on the spirit plane to perceive it. You know, mm -hmm. I want to be able to access everything and anything that I can, including the absolute, you know, and that's why I do all of this. My goal is really a goal that has little to do with earth. It has everything to do with everything, you know, so I, I do these things to assist me in, in realizing that, but also so I can live this fulfilled life and, do all the things that I do. I gotta say it's working, you know, I, I, I'm blissed out. You know, I'm blissed out most of the time. You know? Awesome, no, I mean, I think this is, a, this is a wonderful point maybe to end the podcast on, I mean, just like an in uh, inspirational, motivational uh, point. And I, I, and, and I love the fact that you are moving more into that spiritual teacher role, uh, not just channeling, but, you know, taking the, the how do you say, the, the cloak and uh, running with it, because there's not enough people out there who are, you know, I mean, who are exactly who have this understanding and, and really feel that fire as you, you do to communicate it. And uh, yeah, I definitely give kudos to you for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I got to say that the channeling has helped, but the channeling alone is not it. I mean, channeling, the channel is a small, small thing. It's good. It helps get you started, helps get you motivated, helps you understand the world of energy. Uh, but for me, it's like, I, I can't just stay there. I include it, right? And it evolves as I evolve. Um, but even the channeling, that can be a bardo, you know, mm -hmm. just listening to channeling endlessly, but not doing anything. You know, it's like, that's the world a lot of people live in. All the time. I mean, it tastes great. And I mean, uh, and I think it's, uh, you know, I, I mean, it, it has, it's definitely more fulfilling than ice cream. Uh, Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, it is, uh, but there is the impetus of, you know, the, the call i think that that comes out from a lot of it and um and i think there's also counterbalancing also happening with the over addiction to information in general there has to be kind of a you know somewhat bit more healthy information coming into the mainstream understanding which i think uh, so exactly you know, what a lot of spiritual teachers say that i also agree with big time is that evolution takes place when you have a practice and you have spiritual information. The two of those together accelerate evolution. Because if you just have information and no practice, it's just head knowledge, just yeah. cool ideas that sound great. If you just have practice with no spiritual information, you're like getting more powerful by the day. And like you're having these crazy experiences, but you have no way to contextualize it. You're just like, this is great, but what is happening? Like, what is this? When you have both together, you have a path. You're like, oh, now I get it. So so I, I love both. The channeling is super important. The teaching is important. 
and the methods, you know, important. When you have all that together, it's just, it gets, e it just gets easier, right? And mm -hmm. I think we can all agree that an easier life is something we all desire. So yeah, that's the purpose of these things. Definitely, man. Appreciate for your time. And uh, Absolutely. Uh, I guess, uh, what time is it there now, actually? It's uh... right uh, before 2 p.m. Eastern. Okay, you already ate lunch? No, 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 I have not eaten. I've had coffee, which I love. I, yeah. I love it. I'll, have, I'll have lunch in a bit. No. Dude, yeah. I, I wish you a wonderful day and uh, talk to you soon. Awesome. Sounds great. Have a beautiful day, Justin. Thanks for having me on. Lovely to see you again.